0: Welcome back to AvTalk, the aviation podcast from Flight Radar 24 I'm Ian Pechnik, and I'm here with Jason Rabinowitz, hello. And we're here for episode four of our long-running podcast, I guess we could say now. Yeah, we made it to we, four. We made it to four episodes, and we also made it back from AIX. We survived. All the way from Hamburg, Germany. Hamburg, Germany, I made it back to Chicago, and apparently you got stuck with some fish in Iceland or something? Well, only because I wanted to get stuck. Oh, I, I, I should say, yeah, you, you didn't get stuck. You no, st- I stuck opted yourself.
1: to take up Iceland there on their stopover opportunity and really quite enjoyed it. I was there for Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday, and I left Monday, and I had a really good time.
0: If I recall correctly, we, we were discussing prior to your arrival in Iceland that, that you were apprehensive about doing this?
1: I was. I didn't really know what to expect since I was going on my own. A little apprehensive of doing, you know, sightseeing on my own, but I booked a couple tours online the night before both um, Saturday and Sunday and it turned out to be actually really good. I have no regrets now that I did it and highly recommend if you do go do the Golden Circle tour that I think is like the the tourist staple there and I did the, the second day the South Coast tour which was like 10 hours and a bus all over the Southern coast of Iceland, and it was really pretty damn awesome. And you didn't fall into any volcanoes? No, I don't think so. Excellent. No active
0: volcanoes, at least. No active volcanoes. I mean, that—that's. I guess that's an important distinction to make when we're talking about falling into a volcano.
1: Right. If you fall into you know, a, a crater of a dormant volcano, not the end of the world.
0: Nah, that's fine. Don't do that. What though? could go wrong?
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, we're not encouraging falling into
0: a volcano. <clears> I just, <throat> just want to point that one out. Yeah, don't do that. So, other stuff that's happened besides getting waylaid in Iceland, we've gotten hundreds of questions about North Korea because it's been in the news a lot lately for you know various reasons as far as tensions with with various you know with the United States, with China, and things like that. But a lot of people have been looking at the site and wondering: well, Is it always that empty when people are you know flying over North Korea? And and so we put together a little FAQ on our blog last week because we were getting so many questions about it. So thought it might be good to to talk about that now and and maybe do a little discussion about who's flying over North Korea and and what are they doing and and what are some other airlines doing to to avoid the area.
1: Yeah, it's definitely one of the emptiest gaps in the entire world, other than maybe the the Southern Atlantic Ocean. There is just this distinct void that is North Korea where almost no airlines venture, but it's never complete. well, it's not never. It's not completely empty. There are some flights that do wander into North Korea that yeah, are just I mean, Air Koryo.
0: Yeah. I mean, we, we should point out that, that Air Koryo, the national airline of North Korea, we they fly, obviously, to North Korea. While they're and, still allowed to, at least. Well, I mean, it's their airline. So, I mean, they'll be able to fly in North Korea, maybe just not outside of North Korea. But – but we do, we do track them. And then there's also the Air China flights, which there's been some back and forth whether or not Air China is going to you know, continue to offer those flights, whether or not they'll be downsized or, or suspended for a certain period of time. But then there are also a few Russian airlines who, who make use of
1: North Korean airspace. Quickest way between A and B is a straight line. And some airlines do choose to route that straight line right through North Korea. Yeah, yeah, S7's
0: flight between Shanghai and Vladivostok flies right over. Very Central impressed North you got Korea. that name right. I've been practicing. I can tell. And <laughs> and so they fly right over and Aurora Airlines flies between Vladivostok and Busan in South Korea, but they fly through North Korean airspace. Because we get this question a lot too is is what are those red lines on the map sometimes when we post screenshots and things like that? And the airspace of a country, much like the the maritime boundaries, differs versus the land of the country. And so countries are often responsible for airspace that's actually larger than their land boundaries. And so North Korea's airspace extends east from where the, the land boundary ends. And so they're responsible for a lot of airspace that airlines tend to avoid because it's North Korean airspace, but also because there are advisories from various regulators that suggest North Korea could launch
1: a missile into the area. And and so flights should avoid the area. Yeah. You see a lot of flights taking some very odd routes around North Korean airspace. And it sometimes could add, I don't know, maybe an hour onto a flight just to avoid that airspace.
0: Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of, I mean, we're Recording this on on a Friday afternoon U.S. time, and so there's a Japan Airlines flight from Moscow, a Swiss flight from Zurich, and an Air France flight from Paris, all taking what, what could be considered a longer route just to avoid passing over North Korean airspace.
1: And correct me if I'm wrong, but some international, large international airlines do kind of cut the corner in the northeast section of North Korea. Is that still true?
0: Not anymore. A few years ago, up until a few years ago, at least as far as I know, Air France, Finnair, and KLM used to fly through. There's a single route that cuts through the very northeast of North Korea. And they would fly that on the way to Japan, but they would no longer do that as far as I know and haven't for for at least a year, I want to say. I haven't been able to find any examples in, in at least a year yeah. of that happening.
1: And I'd hate to be one of these airlines like a 7 or Aurora that is overflying North Korea and has some sort of in-flight emergency and has to divert to the nearest airport and that happens to be some <laughs> rural town in North Korea. Yeah. I, th- I mean, that's – I can't imagine
0: – what that would end up looking like, but it would be an interesting experience
1: to say the least. Not someone that I would particularly want to be a part of. No, I, I could do without that experience. Well, speaking of things that are a little more cheery than the desolate North Korean airspace, back in Hamburg, Germany, actually, the first Airbus A321neo has been delivered to its first customer. And guess who that is? I will say Virgin America. You're right. It's almost like we have notes we're reading off of. But yes, it it is Virgin America who is now officially owned by Alaska Airlines, whose favorite longtime running tagline is proudly all Boeing, which, yeah, doesn't really work anymore. But Virgin America, while they're still around, has taken the first A321neo delivery just yesterday, I believe. And there's some mixed reactions to it right now. Mixed reactions to the aircraft or mixed reactions to Virgin America taking delivery? Well, from the airline, really. Alaska doesn't want Airbus aircraft. They really haven't mentioned it at all. They haven't put out a press release, Virgin America sent, I I think, one or two tweets. But Alaska has been very clear that they don't want to keep these Airbus aircraft around. The current A319s and A320s in Virgin's fleets. they are on lease, and that lease expires in a few years, and they'll probably be getting rid of them. But they don't quite know what they want to do with the A321neo. It might end up being ETOPS certified and going out to Hawaii. They just don't really know. But it is super ironic that the first of a new type of aircraft went to an airline that is so proudly, I guess, just loyal to the competition.
0: Well, and they've been
1: proudly all Boeing really in their mainline fleet. Only. Yeah, look, the the proudly all Boeing thing is nonsense because they operate Bombardier Q400s, Horizon Air does, but Horizon is wholly owned by Alaska. They have the Embraer E-jets now, operated by SkyWest, and I think some officially are operated by Alaska now. I'm not quite sure on that one, but they have not been an actual all Boeing fleet in a long time. But Alaska diehards will, you know, fight you to the death on that one. <laughs> Yeah, I I mean it's something that has been a point of pride for
0: for the airline for for some time. So, yeah, no, Horizon operates at least 2 it looks like of the E1 E175s. So, I mean it's I guess that point of pride still exists, but the question becomes does that work for the airline? I mean, do the A321neos offer something that they can't get somewhere else? I mean, Hawaii's going to start running A321s between Hawaii and, and the West coast. Sorry, so next year? I, I mean, is that
1: something that that Alaska, you know, can take a, a page from their book or. Maybe we'll have to wait and see. I don't even think they know what they want to do with these airplanes yet, but they are trying to look to get out of the lease from before a few of these are even delivered, but they don't have a choice when they're taking these first new ones. So I think the first route is DCA to SFO. So and the end of May, I think. So if you're looking to fly. The first A321 Neo, that's where you're going to find it. And then do do you know how many they have on order? I I haven't looked at
0: how many they have on order because it's just been such, so up in the air about what what they're going to do
1: with them. Up in the air. I see what you did there. Uh, Yes. No pun intended. Yeah. I think you did mean some pun, but I'm looking it up right now (laughs) and they have, yeah, they only have 10 on order. One's already delivered, but they have 30 A320 neos the A320 Neo on order those aren't due till 2020 so that i doubt those will ever see so the last so dinner. if you're in the
0: market for for an A320 neo you've got some options yes you do 30 order slots are probably going to open up we're going to take a quick musical interlude but when we come back we're going to talk with Jeremy Dwyer Lindgren who last night witnessed the final revenue flight of a US operated 747 200 so we'll talk with him in just a minute We're back with Jeremy Dwyer Lindgren, who is a photographer, writer, and regular contributor to USA Today, who is maybe best known kind of in the USA Today world for the wonderful photos that appear every month in the USA Today on the website and and sometimes in print for the aviation photos. And he had a chance to visit the 747-200 from Kalita on the last revenue flight when it landed in Seattle yesterday. And so we got him to tell us a little bit about that and his interaction with the crew after they landed. So welcome, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on the show. You're our
1: first official guest.
2: Yes. Really? Really? Welcome. Yeah, Mm.
1: it's a huge honor for you.
2: Uh, Absolutely. If I go through all the things, this is is pretty up there now. I thought (laughs) I'd be at least like 10 or 12 in.
1: Well, welcome. So, a bit of background before we talk to you about the seven four two. The seven four seven two hundred has been in service for how many years? Since the the mid seventies, I guess seventy seventy one. Seventy one, yeah. And it's a dying breed. There are only I had Ian and and some other data nerds crunch the numbers last night, and I think there's only about ten active seven four seven two hundreds left in the entire world. So there's there's not many out there and N793CK belonging to Kalita Cargo was the last registered active 747200 in the United States.
0: We're going to get yelled at because we're leaving out the you know sam twenty eight thousand commercial and sam twenty nine thousand the last commercial I, I'm gonna I'm gonna argue that, that I, I can
2: hear the clickety clack of reader emails exactly. right exactly
0: I'm gonna argue it's a good thing and, we don't read and it. if if you wanna if you want to disagree with me that's great email us at podcast at fr24.com and we'll put some in the next show but I'm gonna argue that the VC twenty five is no more a seven four seven two hundred than I don't know a Piper Cup I mean,
1: they are so heavily modified. I'm sure you would hardly recognize that the flight deck or, or really any of the mechanicals on that thing. So that's my argument. Feel free to disagree with me
0: and let us know if you feel strongly in the opposite direction.
2: Will this be like Air Canada livery strong?
1: Ooh, yeah, we did cover that in like the first mm-hmm. episode, I think. Yeah, yeah well, we didn't get we didn't get yeah, too many lots, anxiety, lots of strong emotions that. Like that. there. No. Anyway, seven four seven two hundred is super rare on all the world right now on Flight Radar twenty four. There is one single instance of a seven four two flying right now. It's actually the immediate airframe produced before the Kalita bird that was just retired. Kalita was line number six seventy three, the one flying right now, belonging to the Cargo Airlines based in I have so, uh, no idea where naming. is. Yeah, line number six hundred seventy two. So they were probably built off the line one after another, so there're not too many out there. but Jeremy, what was it like seeing that thing land in Seattle for probably the last time on a commercial flight?
2: Well, that's pretty spectacular. I found out a uh, day or two before I think that I had the chance of coming through and then thought well i need to need to at least go see it and pop down to seaTac and you, it's loud those j t Pratt & Whitney's, what are they? JT9Ds? J- JT9D. Okay, yeah, so I thought JT9Ds, they, they have that much more distinctive sound that you don't hear on the, the newer engines that you tend to see on the 747s. I think they're, you know, I'll get in trouble by trying to come up with the name of it because someone else re- listening will know and I don't. So I'll just say the new engines. It makes a nice sound and they, they put it down nice and nice and firm on the runway and it made that nice big plant and went right in front of the sun. It was... Fitting that it came in literally right as the sun set.
1: Nice. Did you get to see it up and close? Did they offer any tours when it was on the ground?
2: Yeah. I managed to talk to the folks at Kalita earlier in the day and wanted to do an article for USA Today in a little photo gallery. And so they offered to meet me there on the ground and give me a little tour and spend some time with the crew once once they pulled in. Popped in not too long after they landed and the was super, super willing to talk about the airplane and went up to the flight deck and spent a better part of an hour up there chatting with them and talking about classic 747s.
1: Nice. So, yeah, this is definitely a classic bird. And the 200s were built before the, the two person flight deck. So, did this still have an active flight engineer position?
2: Sure did, Jason. Well, he was Lance Purit, and he's not really sure what happens after this. But, yeah, I, I completely forgot that. 200s had the flight engineer position. I walked on board and noticed a whole heck of a lot of gauges off to the immediate right side when you walk in the door and the chair sitting there and immediately remembered, oh yeah, this is this is absolutely old enough that it would still have the flight engineer position, which is, is virtually as unusual at this point in time as the 200s themselves. There's probably what, maybe two, three dozen regularly flying aircraft that would have that position anymore.
1: Yeah, all the DC-10s that FedEx still operates were converted to MD-10s and eliminated the flight engineer position. So I can't imagine there are many left out there at all. You're
0: probably looking at old Soviet aircraft
1: and, and the handful of you know old 747s that are still flying around. Exactly. So the 747-400 isn't exactly a glass cockpit. By any means, there's still a lot of analog gauges on that thing. But what, if anything, did Kalita do to the 200? Is it upgraded at all? Or is it like the 30.2-year-old aircraft it is?
2: It's a mix of both. They've done some upgrades to it. The frame started off in 1987 as a United Airlines passenger airplane. It managed to get ahead of the curve and ditch the airline before everyone else has more recently, and oh, moved on to Northwest cargo in 2000, which retrofitted it into a cargo airplane, which had a a number of improvements and upgrades to it, mostly on the flight deck itself, obviously ripping out the old passenger interior, putting in a cargo door, and adding an additional pallet position, if I believe so, expanding its freight capabilities just a little bit. And up on the flight deck, not much has really changed, at least as far as the logbook showed that we could find other than they added several digital display panels in two thousand ten or around that area after Kalita picked it up. They estimated it cost something like a half million dollars to do some flight deck upgrades, but other than those display panels it was looked pretty original to me.
1: So this particular 7-4, the, the last one, the last 200 in Kalita's fleet, it was supposed to have ended its life at JFK last week, and then head over to Oscoda in Michigan for at Kalita's MRO facility for storage, and I guess it's eventual retirement. And they actually added up, adding an additional sales trip. So this, uh, I think it went from JFK to Columbus, out to Seattle, I'm sure, just to visit you. And earlier tonight- I appreciated actually, that, I really did. Yeah, it did make its way to, to Upper Michigan today, and did they tell you what is going to happen to this aircraft? What's its fate?
2: They have at their headquarters kind of their own graveyard parking location. They have a couple of other 742s that they said were still there. They're marked as stored on a lot of the aircraft uh, tracking, the frame tracking websites. And they're they're not intending to bring them back into service because they're coming up against their heavy maintenance and the cost involved that would keep the aircraft up to the speed is just too great, so most likely they're going to end their lives there. It's possible they might be shipped out to a different graveyard, but they, they didn't say if that were true. So I would guess, from what they said, it's probably going to end its life there.
1: Are they going to chop it up? or what, Can you part out a 742? Is there anything valuable left on that thing?
2: I mean, there's always the scrap metal for miller Light cans, but other than that, I'm not sure. The engines certainly aren't really... They're pretty old, and they're certainly not common anymore. So that might be the most valuable thing on the airplane typically is when you get to a scrapping situation. But I don't know where they would go.
1: Probably not too many buyers out there for these JT9D engines. When we did look up where other active 742s are, they're primarily in Iran these days, some in the UAE. I think, that Ian, there's one left in in China with UNITOP. Yeah, Yeah, there's one out there
0: as far as we know.
1: So, not too many left, and, and now with the sanctions being lifted in Iran, they're probably going to get rid of those 742s real quick and get some newer aircraft. So, you got a real treat.
2: Yeah, definitely. Probably the last one we'll see in the U.S. for quite some time, if ever, you know, considering that we, the VC-25s, uh, we're not really considering 200s anymore, but it was pretty spectacular to to go up there, and there's a certain amount of... The pilots were commenting that as the airplane goes, it's kind of the end of an error. And I struggled a while last night to come up with piecing this somewhat elusive thread together in the article. But that airplane, even though it was a late build 200 in 87, has more in common with the 200 that came off the line in 71 than it did with the 400 that replaced it two years later in 89. Like they were saying, when when the 747 came out, it was a big deal. The flight engineer described it as the A380 of its day, but he had even more impact than that. And to have an aircraft that was really the original, in a lot of ways, that all the more successful, like the 400, and the less successful, like the 8, have uh, been based on since. So it was kind of neat to be able to see one of the last of the original 747s that connected back to the days when they put bars and piano bars and Henry Winkler into the airplanes. And it was kind of special to see that connection. And certainly the flight engineer is back to an now largely extinct way of flying and a type of airmanship. They have manual control over virtually everything.
1: Yeah, you know, it kind of reminds me of your fight, your last fight on the in Bangladesh. What was it, the DC ten? Did we ever find out what he ended up doing? That flight engineer
2: never heard from him again. That's he checked sad. in with me about six months later and wanted a couple of the photos and a little bit of the video, but he he never answered the question of what he what he picked up doing. And he he just said that him and the airline had an agreement, and that was it. He wouldn't talk more oh. about it.
1: I wonder what the next aircraft type that is at the end of its life that we'll see maybe one more time will be. I don't see that happening anytime soon.
2: No, I think we've got a while to go before that comes again, at least for the major aircraft that we see over here on a regular basis. But even maybe then,
1: the A300 maybe the A three hundred,
0: maybe the A three hundred, or maybe even the seven three two.
2: Yeah, uh, those will be yeah. trucking in Alaska for a yeah, while. Yeah, I mean it
0: is so. It, yeah, I mean everything else I can think of is there's still you know enough examples of them to, to keep going for a while.
1: Yeah, this was a bit of a rarity.
2: Yeah, and not that long ago, there were a fair number of them around still. They were still pretty popular as a cargo airline, and then with the Great Recession and oil prices spiking, those most of them bit the dust very quickly. And yeah. only a couple managed to hang on for this long, which, again, they've outlasted how many 400s? You know, on its face, there's maybe nothing particularly remarkable about another 747 bite in the dust, but this 200 that goes back to the days that it first, the 747 was first around, managed to outlast a lot of the aircraft, that younger aircraft, more capable aircraft, the 400s that came after it. And this one managed to hang on longer than a bunch of its much younger siblings. That's kind of cool.
1: Yeah. Well, this has been a great look back. If there was anyone to capture its last moments at Seattle, I'm happy it was you because I know you did it justice. So thanks for joining and congrats on being our our first of hopefully millions of guests. Tell everyone where they can find you.
2: You can find me online at Twitter at PhotoJDL. That's my initials, Jeremy Dwyer-Lingren.
1: All right. Thanks so much for joining, Jeremy. All
2: right. Take it easy, you guys.
1: Bye-bye. We're back. That was really cool. I enjoyed Jeremy's work. He's really quite good at what he does. So I'm happy he got to. He always finds a way to get to the right place at the right time. He does. And, and, in this and case, I, I don't
0: know how he does it. In I, this case, he's very mysterious just, about it. It
1: just came to him. It went to Seattle where he lives. So, you know, lucky guy. So I want to talk about a bit of an oddity. I obviously do a lot of time just poking around on the app, looking at random planes, what's, what I recognize, what I don't recognize, what isn't where it normally is. And every now and then I see planes doing just weird things, making endless circles or making these lines in a pattern that go for 20, 30 miles up north and then they turn around in a tight circle and then do 20 miles south. And I've just been seeing a lot of these random activities recently. And one of them caught my eye. There were two aircraft over over Massachusetts, just west of Boston. And I couldn't figure out what they were doing. They were making these really tight circles, but they were gradually drifting from the center of Boston out to the west. And I looked up the registration of the operator and found the company that was operating this flight. And I reached out to to them on Twitter. I said, hey, what are you guys doing out there over Boston? And it took them a few days to reply to me, but it turns out they were doing TV signal relay for the Boston Marathon, which happened last weekend. And I thought that was just really cool. Yeah. I mean,
0: we see a lot of these for sporting events, especially. The Tour de France is a huge one. I mean, it, you know, it's global TV audience. And so they get these TV relay aircraft because the, the cameraman on the motorcycle, their signal has to go somewhere. And because they're moving, it's very difficult to. I mean, they obviously can't be cabled. That'd be Although insane. that 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 would be very interesting. Yeah, well, it's like putting you know Ethernet on a on a plane instead of Wi Fi. Right. And they it's can't quite see. rely
1: on cell signals on the ground because I'm sure anyone that's ever used a phone knows that's not quite reliable enough.
0: Right, right. So they have these they have these planes, and and there's some in Europe where they use the motorcycle cameras. Those relate to helicopters and then there are planes flying above the helicopters that relay those back down to the ground and then that gets bounced
1: to a satellite and then it eventually makes it to your house. So the whole operation is kind of crazy. Or in some cases, it's just a fixed wing aircraft doing circles over a stadium or arena with a camera to provide an aerial footage. So it yeah, can that be doing double duty. Right, right. And other times, every, every now and then in New York City, there's this emergency Twitter account that tweets out things that are going to happen in, in the next couple of days. And you see just the other day, actually today, I think it was, don't be alarmed, there's going to be a small aircraft doing circles over Manhattan. And you know we're a little touchy about airplanes over the city. So they tweet this well in advance, but a lot of the weekends, the last couple of weeks, they've been doing survey work. So it's not always camera work for an event. It is literally just a plane going in circles, taking either pictures or radar or LIDAR or whatever, mapping out the ground.
0: Yeah, and and so you'll you'll see and and sometimes it's circles and then sometimes it's long, you know, kind of long, very, very straight lines and then a hundred and eighty degree turn and, and come back. And sometimes if you lay that over the satellite map. On the site, you'll see it. To, oh, they were you know surveying a particular farm or a particular you know construction site or something like that. So it's always neat to see see that work ongoing.
1: Yeah, you never quite know what they're doing at the time, but sometimes if you take the the registration number of the aircraft and run it through Google or whatever, you can find the company that's operating it, and sometimes it'll be right there in the name of the company, like you know Owl's Surveying Company or, or Jake's TV Relay Service. Yeah. But not always that obvious. Or sometimes, you know, it's a little more secretive. There could be a little detective over, work, yeah. Yeah, a little yeah. planes over cities that you can't quite identify. That the registration comes back to uh, companies that don't exist. And you know, sometimes they're watching you instead of relaying a signal, watching someone else. Sometimes that happens too. Yeah.
0: And then there's the the other you know government aircraft that are flying around in the U.S. It's the FAA. In Europe, it's some private companies that do the calibration, the flight calibration service. Oh, those are
1: cool. The patterns they leave behind are really cool looking.
0: I mean, the, the patterns are great, especially when they're doing like VOR or other calibrations where they're drawing that, that perfect circle. Yeah. Or or at least trying to. <laughs> we'll toss some pictures in the show notes of the flight calibration services stuff because I mean it gets really fascinating how how they work and I know a lot of people in Canada when Nav Canada does there a lot of spotters go out for the the calibration work that Nav Canada does
1: yeah speaking of Nav Canada it was a little funny the last time I was in St. Martin I was on the beach and there was this aircraft that we couldn't quite identify coming toward the runway at St. Martin and it turned out to be a NAV Canada. I think it was like a King Air doing the actual pattern work and St. Martin, I have no idea why, but I guess guess they contracted out to the nearest country that would lend them that service. That's got to be a tough gig. Oh, yeah. You know,
0: know, doing, you know, work up in Yukon and then-
1: well, next week, we'll be in St. Martin. That sounds, that sounds like a terrible way to live. Oh, yeah. It's a little harder to track the FAA doing this pattern work because, of course, the FAA doesn't outfit pretty much any of their aircraft with ADS-B, which is just super ironic. You know, the the whole lead by example thing doesn't apply <laughs> to the federal government. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, got to rely on MLAT for that, which doesn't really work all that well with pattern work when they're down to like 100 feet doing some pretty cool flybys. Right, right. Which is a shame.
0: One day. One day. day. Yeah, maybe by, you know, by, by 2020, 2020, of course. Yeah. yeah we'll get sure. there eventually. Sure, sure. We've made it through four episodes. How do you feel so far? I mean, do you feel, do you feel like we're, we're doing okay?
1: Shocked. I'm shocked we've made it to four. I mean, my attention span usually, you know, peters out after like one, maybe two instances of a thing. So making it to four episodes is a pretty big deal. I feel like you're, you're channeling your inner cat. Like, yeah, you know. You know losing. Okay. I see a shiny thing and I'll be recording a podcast somewhere else in no time. And we'll have lost you. Yeah, forever.
0: Well, we'll be back with episode five soon. But we want to hear from you about what you think of the show. Leave us a review on iTunes, link in the show notes to do that so that you know, we know what you guys think of the, think of the podcast, and so we know what you guys want to hear from the podcast. We want to make this worthwhile to listen to, so in order to do that, we'd love to hear what you want to hear more about. If you've got questions, if you've got ideas, let us know on Twitter, at FlightRadar24, or on Facebook, or send us an email, podcast at fr24.com, Or just leave us a review on iTunes and give us a rating because the more ratings and reviews we get on iTunes, the more people find out about the podcast, the more people find out about the podcast, the cooler stuff that we can do. And we are looking forward to doing some really great stuff with the show. With that, we'll say see you next time. Thanks for listening.